Hello and welcome to another edition of the Capiche Filmcast. Stephen Barry here, joined by Francis Murphy. Yo, yo, yo. We are back oh, for... God, that was so loud, was, wasn't it? Jesus Christ, man. Yo, yo, yo. Jesus, yeah, that's better. Right. Sorry about that. Everyone. Okay, everyone? everyone okay? We are back for another episode. The final kind of episode of the Captain's Log Project. That's right. We have made it. <laughs> After that abysmal, shocking, awful, horrendous nightmare that was Star Trek Into Darkness, we are now at the 13th Star Trek film, Star Trek Beyond. Yep. So, Star Trek Beyond 2016, Justin Lin directed it, we've got the same composer, Michael... Giacchino. Uh, Giacchino, what is that? Is that how you pronounce it? Let's not go there. Okay. Giacchino. Giacchino. Um... Giacchino. Um Written by Simon Pegg and Doug Jung. Yeah, but I think Simon Pegg kind of took the major. Right. Like, he did most of the work. Um, last appearance of Anton Yelchin. Um, yes, that is a, uh, un- an untimely death for an aspiring young actor. Um, yep. Very sad. sad. Um, but yeah, so I think... So this film... I mean, it, it was... It, I mean, let's, it, it got sort of more or less positive reviews. I think it was uh, slightly deflated. It wasn't like a major hit. It was commercially successful, but it wasn't also massively world-changing anything. This film was a no, bit of a... It, it kind of a, It kind of came and went. It didn't feel huge, like a huge moment. Something happened, but it was weird. It was like... I think to tell. Into Darkness put people off. Into Darkness probably was the was, the, was mainly the reason, but I also... Th- I think the Star Trek fans didn't go to... They were done with these films. Uh, yeah, it's into darkness. But the mass audience also weren't as keen. I do think because the mass audience were put off by into darkness as well. When I when I saw people laughing in the cinema, they weren't all dressed in Star Trek uniforms. Do you know what I mean? These were just normal people going to the film. As well as that, at this point, Star Wars had been re. If the Force Awakens came out the year before this film, so Star Wars kind of fandom had picked up again. Uh-huh. And they hadn't hit their moments of fan furor with the Last Jedi or anything at this point, so it was all quite positive mostly with the La- the, the Force Awakens. Star Wars was back, and it kind of and, and at this point the Marvel films were also in full speed. Really, they were bringing churning them out at this point in twenty sixteen. I think uh-huh. it was three films a year, and there was almost no space for the Star Trek film. Yeah. I think at this point. Um, the, the landscape had changed entirely, and I think you know it, it's interesting because, in a weird way, Star Trek kind of two thousand and nine Star Trek was what maybe one of those kind of early versions of the modern blockbuster. Well, we commented in that podcast that it felt like the you know a Guardians film. It had a Marvel esque feel uh-huh. to it, and so did Nemesis. Weirdly enough, Nemesis mm. kind of oh, that's true. I think we did say about that yeah. one, actually. But I mean, yeah, I'd like I don't know. You don't see a lot of. There's not a lot of room these days. You've got Star Wars, Marvel, you know, a, a, a lot of the big franchises are kind of crowding things out. You don't see a lot of kind of independent film, like, not independent, but like, there's not a lot of standalone original movies these days the way that there used to be. Um, and smaller properties tend to be kind of drowned out, as you say. Like, you know, there's not space for it, but... um. You know, it, I think in its own kind of quiet way, this was this was all right. I mean, this I think you're you may be pleasantly surprised to watch it again. I, I have been actually because uh, I I think maybe last year or it's something I watched it again and I thought actually, do you know, apart from there's a few silly bits, but you could say that about any po- popcorn movie these days. Like, I mean, it's weird. Like, 
it's, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's CGI or something and the fact that everything's just completely mad sometimes. I, I like to, as you said, actually, when we watched one of the films, it's like, I think you could term it almost as like when a movie goes about Michael Bay. Uh, yeah, I felt the last I mean? film was, was Michael Bay taking like, over. It just felt uh-huh. from the titillating, you know, um, scene with uh, Carol was on him. Uh, it was Carol Marcus. Carol Marcus. Um, I, you know, the way you know, just for the sake of it, it was very nineties, very dated. Other things, over the top action, very one liners, and then sort of cool action over-the-top CG scenes, which is a staple of what we're still... We're still getting that. that that's that's a thing that's continuing just because the Marvel films, they need to do that. I mean, I do think we need to get away from that a wee bit with cinema. Like, I think I think it ruins... So you're on the Martin Scorsese's uh, side on this? Sort of. I mean, I do... I do... Well, I, I, I do think, right... This is an interesting debate I, I, for us to but, but he doesn't preamble. like franchise stuff, like, and, and I get that. He doesn't like the CG and like, overblown. I think, really, there's a lot of films, probably most of the big franchise blockbuster films, popcorn films that we have these days, would be a lot better if they ditched some of the CGI and up the story. Maybe a bit like Joker, right? Um, I think we need more story and we need more... We need some of the artistry to come back to cinema uh, blockbusters. This is the thing, though. I don't get that. We still get that. There are still plenty. Blockbusters, Steve. Blockbusters, yes, that's it. That's That's what I'm saying. I said that. Blockbusters, not all film. You get art films, you get slow films, you get whatever. But do you know what? Tentpole summer films and and Christmas, like the blockbuster periods, like when big films come out, we just need a little bit... We need a little bit less of this silly, crazy stuff, right? The reason I'm saying it is because Beyond has it. Beyond has a couple of bits, like, if you removed them, the film would be great. Do you know what I mean? Just completely silly stuff where you're just like, like, what's the point in an experience if you don't even fully comprehend what's going on and your mind cannot take it in? Well, that's just poor, though. To me, the films that do it right, and I am a defender of the Marvel films, especially the later ones where they've really nailed... Yeah, that's a formula that's been nailed. Um, it's kind of a formula. They keep changing it up. So if a formula, ha- you know, keeps changing, do they give you time to see what's on the screen? Yes. Well, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, let's not go into that. That's not Michael Bay, though, is it? Yes, exactly. That there's the the poor version, the Michael Bay stuff, um, uh, where it's just nonsense, flashy colors, and and all sorts of problematic issues. You know, usually sexism, all that sort of stuff, all in there. That's part of that culture it's like my most hated favorite word i know but let's let's kind of steer away from that that's this film is a popcorn action film just like the the preceding two films actually it's a little bit it's weirdly actually a little bit more thoughtful is it i, I mean have, i remember it being an ensemble it's a bit more like star trek this is a more of an ensemble piece isn't it and it's got a little bit of a nod to star trek too visually as well with a beautiful sequence with the ship Right. Okay. The f- no Lensler, no nothing. Right. Do you know how the whole shaky cam, crazy outside shots in this film? You finally get a beautiful shot of the new Enterprise. Does this film not have Lensler? I'm intrigued because this might be my favourite of the three. If it doesn't, I am sure there's either like a lot less or well, none. JJ didn't direct this one, so maybe yeah. finally, um, because that is one of the worst things about those two other films. I can't stand it. I really find it distracting. I find it obnoxious. It's just. I gave that first one four stars. If you'd stars. said that ten years ago, you would have been called a toxic fan. Yeah. Yeah, so... Crazy. Idris Elba is in this film. Yep, although you wouldn't know it until the end. <laughs> Honestly, well, you right. can't see his I face. I forgot about that, yeah. 
Um, kind of funny that, and and he doesn't even sound like himself for most of it. It's been a while. It's been a while. I've only seen this film once in the cinema, so I'm intrigued to see this one again. Um, I think we've kind of covered most of it. Um, yep. we're, we're we're you know pleasantly looking forward to this film. It's not gonna it's not gonna change our world, but I think it's gonna. Be... Imagine it did, and we just didn't expect it. By the way, can you do the we finished the preamble jingle? Preamble jingle. We have finished the preamble. Oh, is everything going to be a jingle? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we finished the preamble. The preamble's finished. <laughs> and it just has to end there. You have to cut me now. And we are back from watching Star Trek Beyond, the 13th Star Trek film, the third in the reboot series. Fran? Gotta say, I really enjoyed this film. Yeah, I loved it. I did much more than I did. I, I don't know what it was. I've not seen it for ages, but I, I, I just loved it. Yeah, this was a this was a surprise. I kind of went in thinking this will be a, a tepid affair, a bit mediocre, um, enjoyable at points, and, and some things would frustrate me. But I found so much to enjoy. I think it helped that we watched this back to back with Into Darkness. Yeah. The stark contrast in the characterization, the style, the production, everything, the music, all shone through in this film. Yep. There was a lot more duty to care to the original Star Trek license, the original Star Trek series. Yeah. That we both appreciated. As well as that, where it went, blockbustery, you know, big budget film, it was all still handled really well. Mm-hmm. So overall, very happy with this film. Yeah. Let's where do you want to start with this one? Well, I think it would be interesting to talk about some of the callbacks to the original series. Okay. Um because this film is set in the year 2263, which is pretty much round about where the original 60 Star Trek show was set. So we're seeing a Kirk and Spock and everybody at an age that we would have seen them before for the first time with the reboot uh films and we've got a Chris Pine playing Kirk as Kirk for the first time properly. We've got a, a slightly more subdued, more realistic Bones. And you could say that for almost all of the cast, actually, that all of them are actually playing... They're not playing a caricature... Not caricature, but they're not playing like an impersonation of the old cast, but they're playing them well, at they, the right age now. Yeah, it felt like they were much more tapped into the, to the character that, that we are familiar with. Kirk was so much more likable in this film. Um, he didn't do anything inappropriate at all at any point. Yeah, I really enjoyed him. He had it was little things stylistically. He had the cropped sort of patterned hair, um, the sides shed the hair, in the precise style. He had they had the clothes. The uniform was obviously much more similar similar to the original series. The plain long sleeve tops or whatever it is. I don't know what the difference was. It was something about it. Um, it was the texture of the uniform, I think. Yeah. And they had the command um, uh, ranks on yeah. their sleeves. Yeah. As well as that, uh, on Pines, um, Chris Pines specifically, he had a sort of gravelier tone, you know, to show that he's a bit older. That I, you know, I could I could hear the, the Shatner in his performance yeah. for the first time. Yeah. in three films um, so I really enjoyed Chris Pine in this film and it's the first time I can say that having watched these these reboot films um, McCoy you touched on I think Carl Urban did a better um, 
All this is in the direction, version. though. Yeah, I, I know it's it's a combination of the, all the filmmakers. You know, we've got the writing by Simon Pegg. I think he's given them better material, mm-hmm. and and Doug Jung as well. And and I think the director, uh, Justin Lin, Justin Lin. I think he has obviously they've worked. They've all worked together. I think this is a collaborative affair, and I think they've kind of been able to nurture a film that has just towed the line perfectly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On a great action popcorn blockbuster film that these these reboot films, let's face it, are, but with a much more emphasis and focus on capturing the feel of that Star Trek series. Yes, I mean, let's think about some of the things that have done that, right? So, we've lost Lens Flare. Oh, thank um, God for that. Yeah. The shots were beautiful. <clears throat> I, I just couldn't stop seeing that. Yeah. And we had sustained shots as well. Cam, non-shaky cam, non-zoomy shots of the cast and the ship. Um, Space shots lingered and took time. We had the ship flying through the nebula at one point at the start of the film, which was very evocative of Star Trek 2. And I kept saying to you, look at this, we're actually getting to see the ship. We're getting to see the the beautiful model work someone's done, um, uh, 3D model work, however they've done it. Um... There was none of the, the sort of the tone of the comedy. Only with Scotty, we laughed moments. at the right times. Yes, most of the lines actually worked. Yeah, but uh, you know, mo- again, Bones and Spock had some great moments. Yeah, of character. Well, let's think about who was paired up. So we had um, Kirk and Chekhov. Yeah, which was great because finally we get to see Anton Yelchin shine a lot more in this film, which is quite sad because it was his last chance, obviously, in this franchise. But. Yeah. What a great send-off for him to have in this film. Yes. So Kirk and Chekhov together. We had Spock and McCoy. We had Ahura and Sulu. Mm-hmm. Um, and who else did we have? Um, I think that... Well, Scotty and... Scotty and... Um, uh, what was her name? Oh, we should, we should have checked It's like that. an alien name, though. I mean, it, um, What was the... We need to know the actress's name as well. Well, we need to look that up, actually. But she's, she was great. She was an extremely like likable character. Basically, she was someone who was stranded on the planet with them, or had been stranded on the planet before. I want to say her name starts with an A, like the the character, but I can't remember off the top of my head. And obviously, we had Idris Elba as a quite mysterious villain who we actually found out about in the end was a Starfleet captain from a hundred years before, who had basically been corrupted by being trapped on a planet and feeling that he was abandoned by the Federation, but he was also a soldier. Is it Sophia Botello? Is that I th- her? I think so. Is Jayla? Yeah, Jayla. Yeah, that's her. Um, but yeah, Idris Elba's uh, villain was good because it tied back to another Star Trek series perfectly with the uniforms, with the backstory, with the Zindi and Romulan Wars. Um, the USS Franklin looked like it should have looked like. We had a big tie into canon there. Um, I feel like it was what I liked about the film was that it felt it was almost like if you imagine people like say you're at a party and you're around four or five different people and you're talking to them and you've got someone really excitable jumping about and they're likable and they're a bit tiring but then there's quite a relaxing person comes along and they're talking to you and you feel quite comfortable and you're having a nice chat that's what this film felt like the music the pacing are you saying the annoying person was into darkness well, um, even 2009 Star Trek, which I think we're going to reassess, but I think that yeah. there's a bouncy energy that can sometimes be a little bit too much. That sometimes having having that kind of chilled out, relaxed, 
let's take our time here and really kind of, you know, the CGI was was as spectacular and just as technically sound as Into Darkness in 2009, Star Trek. But the shots were, were, were different, so it allowed you to actually see what was happening and to kind of appreciate the gravitas of what was taking place. So the Enterprise gets destroyed at the start of the film. Gorgeous. Completely. But it's a sustained sequence that goes on for, what, 15 minutes or something like that? And you see the, the, the deflector dish on the front of the ship being destroyed. The engines get ripped off. The bottom of the ship gets pulled off. Um, everyone's trying to evacuate. The ship's flying. The saucer is flying down towards the planet. Kirk evacuates out and you see the saucer falling down. And and what it does is it actually allows you... Uh, this is a film that played on the strengths of CGI, Right. Because CGI in it in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's how it's used. Correct. Right. So this was the opposite of Michael Bay. Yes. Right. It was all the tools that he uses, the technological tools, but the actual framing of the shots and the sustained pace was different. Again, we look at the music. Um, <clears throat> I think it's Michael. How would you pronounce it? Michael Giacchino. Right. Well, we'll go with that pronunciation because um, we just don't know. But in the previous films, I feel like his uh, music was too busy, too fast. Didn't give you a chance to pick Probably up the motifs. Probably because it felt it had to keep up with the action of the film. Quite possibly, yeah. In this film, he was able but, to compose and also use a lot of the stuff from the previous Star Trek series. I know you're going to go into yeah. that anyway. But yeah, I think, 60s that, stuff. I think having the film be better and more sustained mm -hmm. shots <clears throat> let him compose a yeah. much calmer, stronger, confident score. But crucially, a score that the motifs and the themes you would remember as you listened I was, was I was lovely. enjoying the music. I was, yeah, me too. And and I was enjoying the fact that it was repeti there was repetition. Like uh, there would be themes that would come back, and I would recognise it. It was like, and that's something that goes back to the Bond casts. Now, listen, everybody, listen, Gordon, listen, Steve. I'm on a Star Trek cast, and I'm referencing Bond, and nobody's taking the piss. But here we go. But in a Bond film, the music's very strong, and you you know those become quite um, famous sometimes. And I feel like. That's something we lose in movies sometimes is the importance of music and I feel like in this film there was certain themes that played when Kirk was thinking about a certain thing or you know thinking about family or thinking about the future or whatever that would come in later on and it would you would go oh yeah that's that nice theme that's coming back what I'd like to say before I forget is one of my favourite points of the film is where Spock well I don't want to like say I'm, I'm enjoying the fact that Leonard Nimoy died but one of my favourite points in the film is where Ambassador Spock, um, well, we find out he's died and young Spock finds that out. And then at the very end of the film, when Spock's trying to decide if he wants to stay in Starfleet or not, he looks through Ambassador Spock's belongings and finds a picture of the old crew from the old Star Trek with their movie uniforms on when they're in maybe in their 50s or 60s. And he's looking at this picture and you can tell that he's looking at this thinking they must have been friends for decades. These are the people that I'm supposed to be with. And there's something quite moving about that. That direct link. Yeah. You know, yeah. to actually see them on screen again. Yeah. It was amazing. I really enjoyed that. Probably thought to himself a little, they all look a bit 
different from my version of the characters, but <laughs> um, no, it was a great touching tribute to Leonard Nimoy. It, it was almost and in like, fact the whole crew. Yes, and it was almost like the characters were reacting. It was kind of meta, like it was the you know they were reacting to the passing of this legend of the series. And was well, Zachary Quinto got close to yeah, Leonard Nimoy? I imagine. And in that scene, imagine where... that wasn't just acting. I think there was well, a like, bit of tears in his eyes. Yeah, yeah that a difficult scene, and, and again another one of just many poignant moments that the last two films have not had. Mm-hmm. And you were used the word to reassess them. I feel like that... Well, we don't have to reassess into darkness. We know where we stand on that. But I feel like this one does bring um, 2009's reboot down a notch. Yeah, I mean, the reason... I mean, I gave it four, and I would probably take it to three, but I think the reason for that is that I have to be positive about 2009 because it, because it has scenes with Leonard Nimoy that I think are canon and, and absolutely essential and mean, mean a lot to me. And also when I went to see the film I was in America it was a really good time like it means like I have an emotional connection to that film I mean if you still feel it was a four no it's I, I, I feel it's I don't, I don't but what I would say is that every single of the three stars are earned for those reasons yeah yeah but I'm, I'm I, but I, in fact my feeling about the film is the same I just have to reassess it to bring it in line with what I think about this one like I have to nudge it down so that this one can be above it because it is a better film as a standalone film and it, it, it basically this is the most Star Trek of the reboot films, and it's the most Star Trek thing that's been produced in years. Discovery's not proper Star Trek. We'll see what Star Trek Picard is like, but, you know, this really... I was watching it, I was thinking, my my goodness, you know, I, I really... I don't know. This was escapist enjoyment for me. This was It really, was relaxing. Yeah. I, amazingly, because it was back-to-back, you were able to see the differences just <clears throat> so quickly, and I think that did help. I bet you if we watched this a few weeks from now, uh, my, my enjoyment would still have been great, but I think it wouldn't have been um, as good because I was able to just see the improvements. It's almost like they had feedback from the last two films and right here we're going to strip this out and we're going to do this and it was lovely to see. Do you know what it reminds Such me great actually of like film, great performed film, <clears throat> highly well produced film. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, it reminds me actually, when you say that about the feedback, it reminds me of like the teaching planning, like when you deliver a lesson and then you get your feedback and someone says to you, try making that a bit shorter, make that a bit longer, like less of this, less of that. And then you do it the next time and everybody responds a lot better. And I think pacing, pacing is so important. Pacing is almost like a human need. Like we cannot understand things and process things unless they're paced in a certain way. And there's a way that we you kind of enjoy music and scenery and colour and, 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 and dialogue and all of these things. There's kind of a magic mix. And I feel actually, I don't know if you'd agree with me on this, Steve, right? But I feel like Star Trek Beyond actually kind of, on occasion throughout the film, hit that kind of magic moment where it was all in alignment. Not all the way through the film, but there were certain scenes where it was like, if it, like see the scene where Kirk went out of the escape pod? And the the camera panned up, and you saw the saucer moving towards the mountains and uh, the planet. That was perfect. The music, the panning, the color, the everything about the that scene of uh-huh. Kirk's face as uh-huh. he watched as he watched the, the saucer hit you know land like the sadness. Crash. Yeah, great shot. That whole I love that first act. That's my favorite part. I think. Yeah. The it was it was standing slow destruction of the of the 
uh, enterprise and uh, and, and the professional the ca- way they dealt with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, all the characters well, we've not touched on this how they all interacted as well. This was a much greater emphasis on the ensemble um, element. They they all were interacting with each other. We mentioned and I don't know if we did it on air and into, into darkness. It felt like you know um, Anton Yelchin was was barely in the film. He was just there to shout things now and then, mm-hmm. uh, pointing at things on a screen or whatever. And the other characters never talked to each other. They only spoke to either. It didn't feel like a crew. Kirk or Spock, and 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 this was great because they were all talking to each other. They all had scenes together, and I love ensembles. It's one of my favorite things about the the star the Star Wars films, like where. Empire Strikes Back. You've got, you know, you've got all the villains and the heroes in one scene at one point, nearly apart from Luke, when in the Cloud City, you've got Han, Chewie, C three PO, Princess Leia, Boba Fett, Darth Vader, Lando Calrissian, all in one scene. One of my favourite moments. Like, yeah, you have to sort of play with all the characters that you have um, available. I feel like if you reduce most of your cast to functional lines like shields up, um, red alert, or, you know, we have a distress signal or whatever, you know, you don't have to know Chekhov's mum and dad or like his entire background in order for him to be interesting. Like what we saw in this film was a character of Chekhov who was quite sort of Obviously, he's very intelligent, but also he was quite nervous at certain points. And, you know, him being paired with Kirk was really interesting because it's Ensign Chekhov, the 18... Well, no, it must be like 21 now. Like, he in was the always timeline. the youngest, wasn't yeah. he? So, and then he's with Kirk, who's like the captain, and they're stuck together. And like, um, there's quite funny bits where like Chekhov said to the captain like that, you know, he has no clue what the hell they're going to do. Uh, there was one bit where they were on the saucer where Chekhov sort of shouted something, didn't he? He was like, you know, it was like, um, Kirk said, are you all right? And he was like, yeah, I'm all right, but I don't have a clue what's going on, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. But it was great. It was yeah. just that sort of yeah, moment. Yeah, the cadence that sounded similar to how the original actor uh-huh. But it was, but a lot of that's in the direction. Yeah. Justin, I think, Lin I think Justin must Link, have yeah. said to them, calm it down a wee bit here. We got to see Bones being an actual doctor a lot in this film, curing, helping Spock with an injury, and then later on on the ship, uh, the the old uh, USS Franklin trying to use the old medical tools. Um, you know, it, it, played to the, it played to the strengths of each character. Uhura is a linguist, language, talking. She understands people. She kind of figured out crawl the enemy. Um, Sulu... Um, we got to see his relationship uh, with his partner um, and his his daughter, and we got to see how he would do anything to stop the attack on the station because they were on there, you know. And also, he was given the sort of nod to you know he's going to like sit in the captain's chair and take over for a while, yeah. and that's obviously of course, yeah. to him in the later films where he becomes a captain and things like that. So for the later that, original films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Star Trek six specifically yeah. is sort of like setting this version of the character up for that. I, exactly. And do you know what was good about it? He didn't just like into darkness make some announcement over the comm. He actually did practical stuff. He was in command of the Enterprise. He was given orders. He was saying, evacuate this, do this, do that, you know, he was confident and he was doing it. Scotty, I think 
uh, he, he, he was still the comedy, was, you know. Um, but he did have some nice scenes with Jayla where he was talking to her about being part of a crew. Yeah. And Kirk was standing in the background. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it was fine. I, I wasn't as obnoxious as in uh-huh. the last film. Um, like, I, they actually were able to make him a character, a more well-rounded character. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, they really... Um, everyone was much better in this film. I really enjoyed it. Jayla, I liked Jayla, Jayla in this. I thought she was adorable at, at points, the way her interaction with Scotty. Yeah, Montgomery Scotty. Yeah. Because he corrected her. She she calls people their full name, so it's James T or Montgomery Scott. And yeah. he said, no, it's Scotty, and it became Montgomery Scotty. Yeah. It's little little character moments like that. Yeah. She was great. You know, she's listening you know, to... I, I have to say, I actually kind of, like, had a... I have to admit, to have a little bit of a thing for her, like that, you know, if I met her, I would be smitten, pretty much. But like, it's because of that, like the way that she, you know, she's quite kind of spiky, and yeah. she's she's quite um, like she's she can fight, you know, she can handle herself. Oh yeah, certainly she. But also, like, she's got this kind of. Like she talks about having an edge. <laughs> like yeah. she's drinking loads at the Kirk's birthday party to get the edge off, and it's not working. But like I like that. Like that attracts me to someone. Yeah. I like that sort of character. You know, someone who's quite um, and she's survived on her own for a long time. Someone who's quite self reliant and and all that sort of thing. Learned the human language by herself, and and I like the way she talks about music as well because the USS Franklin has like an MP3 player on it like with all the old cruise music and she's talking about like I like the beats and the shouting <laughs> you yeah. know and then later on the crew like because she listens to a lot of Beastie Boys that are on the, yeah, the ship's database yeah which Kirk coincidentally likes but like and the crew what, talk about it as classical music they're that, like is this classical? That was a big moment in the trailers initially when this film was released the the first teaser kind of got a bit of a negative critical reaction and as well as in, in fans on social media. The marketing team put together a trailer that essentially showed the film as just a crazy action film with the soundtrack sabotage. No context context given yeah. as to why that was there. So obviously that does not fit normally. Do you know, the funny and thing this is, film more or less made it fit. I think it, it is a bit strange still. It's a you know a Star Trek film, but. In the context of this being the popcorn blockbuster action film, it works. But and they also made it work story. But it also, yeah, it foreshadowed it. It showed yeah, that so she what, was living on the ship and she was listening to the music. Yeah. And it just so happened that radio was the thing they were going to use and they needed something loud. Yeah. And Kirk didn't choose it. She did. Yeah. So there was, you know, it was the opposite of the contrived stuff about the tribble and into darkness. It was like, that was quite natural. You, you could tell that Kirk might sit there and be surprised that one of his favourite songs was chosen. Yeah, that could easily have been Kirk like, I'll choose this song. That's cool. I'm super yeah. cool, man. But you saw the look on his face where he was like, oh, yeah, that's a good yeah. choice. I really liked Pine in this. I thought he was, he carried... Kirk was for the first time because you always talk about like I think you you look up to Kirk and as a character you've got a lot of appreciation for his journey and all the high points and things and and I can as well but not quite the same as you yeah and I don't think I see him as this overly cool guy maybe because I haven't watched the original series so it was the first time that I thought that that he he was just charming cool and sort of. I would say manly and macho and all that sort of stuff, but, but not, not in over any, the top. Not and not in a that sort of over the top way. He just was a, a yeah, it was a pretty awesome character. He was clearly really the him. captain. Yes, yeah. the thing is, like, Assertive see when you watch things. the original series, you'll feel that the sixties show 
I mean, it's a 60s programme, so you're going to have some of the Bond-style missteps that we've seen because it's old, right? And, it, yeah. you know, you can forgive that, but Star Where Trek... dated. Star Trek's pretty... Yeah, it's dated. <laughs> Kirk is racist. <laughs> but, like, yeah, basically, like, it's not as bad as Bond. Star Trek was always quite progressive, but um, if you watch the original series, you will see a character extremely similar to the way that Chris Pine played Kirk in this film. Aye. In fact, almost exact. Like, the scene I'm thinking of when I'm talking about how he was kind of cool, and it, I remember at the time, first watching it, thinking it's a bit much. He's driving about in a motorbike as a distraction in the scene. It makes sense. He's put himself out there to help save the rest of the crew. And in, that, in, in actual fact, he kind of understates his, own, does, his own role. He does, because... They don't give him lines that you would expect if it was Inter Darkness. He would be saying all these kind of catchy one-liners, like a mm-hmm. die-hard style kind of reluctant hero, you know. But he doesn't say anything. He's just he's just on the bike. In fact, he doesn't even say anything when they they're trying to rescue him and he's going to go and get Jailer, and he doesn't even respond. Yeah, he doesn't say I'm going to get Jailer. He like he doesn't say anything. He just he as, just decides. As he an says, old um, English mentor would say, less less is, is more. more. Yeah, <laughs> and it's Mr. It, Collins. So, we still admire you. Someday we will send you a link to this podcast. It's so effective. He's just he's just cooler in this film. I really liked him. Yeah, and gone is that obnoxious. Um, self-entitled brat from the, the but, previous film but, and then in the second film was that playboy but here's thing the thing though gone. Steve th- that's here's the thing right it's weird right because we don't exist in a bubble like an unchanging state right we never saw Kirk in the original canon Star Trek prior to being about 35 where he is in this film but all of us you me all of us every single one of us guys has probably been that idiot when we were younger. Do you know what I mean? Like so, perhaps, but there's an element of reality there. Reality, but does it make good? It's maybe not the best place to pick up a movie. Exactly. I feel like the the equivalent of this is the prequels. We didn't need to see Darth Vader as a young child. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But that being said, it's been nice. Like it was. It. We know that it's the same actor and we know that it's the same character in the three the three films, but we're seeing him now after three years in deep space mm-hmm. and and he's grown on his journey and that's that's good to see. No, certainly. And I, uh, a pleasant surprise. I wasn't expecting yeah. that because I've said it before, I was never really sure about Chris Pine from those first two films. This time I'll, I could see Shatner uh, and, and, yeah. and Kirk. I felt like I was watching... A modern representation of Kirk, and I, I firmly enjoyed that, as well as the rest of the cast, as we've already said. You know, so again, so we've touched on the cast. We were impressed with that. The writing, music, the music. We've touched on that. Color, the color, the the the, the shots, the cinematography was brilliant. Well, so let's talk about some of the sets then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The USS Franklin was perfect. It looked just right. Yep. And then even what and the Enterprise, the way you know. Oh, the destroyed bridge. Because yep. you like your your derelict. Der- stuff, der- you I love characters um, sort of tra- traipsing through derelict ships or mm-hmm. abandoned buildings and things. I always think if it's shot really well, it's it's a, some leads to some great moments. And this film had you know an abundance of that. What did you think of the? We talked a bit about. I was explaining to you the idea of a Federation starship being a marvel of technology that could survive 
multiple attacks and destruction and being ripped to shreds and that the parts of it like did you have any thoughts about that yeah so you you'd explained that these um ships are so futuristic and so well designed that they can function after having all sorts of beatings and, mm-hmm. and things like that having been destroyed effectively yeah i probably needed a wee bit of that explanation because maybe i would have thought this is a bit much yeah but once you've you i trust your opinion on this as a star trek fan mm-hmm. um so yeah it was kind of cool some of this again it was i was enjoying this the, the shots mm-hmm. of that so the, some of that led to some great well-staged shots brilliant lighting what about the scenes of the planet as well so you had like shots of the landscape with these alien jagged mountains that lingered yes and, and some of that and it wasn't again, just like shots of earth trees. these yeah. were things that were like they, they'd actually created this scene it was otherworldly uh, but again otherworldly in the way that that first series star trek series again it brought it home a bit more mm-hmm. um I, I liked that really enjoyed it um it's kind of hard this one steve right terrible movies and, and and enjoyable movies are hard it's the ones that are kind of in the middle that are easier to talk about because, oh, like, depends. I mean, there is things. Let's let's face it. Okay, we've 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 bigged up. Let, let's talk about where the the film that didn't get. Things well, the right. specifics. So we could start with the opening first, like five minutes with the little mini alien things. Mm-hmm. Now, I like the fact that we saw a random mission where Kirk was trying to do diplomacy. I like that. Um, it was a bit silly with CG. It was almost like it reminded me of like Harry Potter with like little yeah. creatures running about and yeah. stuff. And it was silly, but it was over kind quick. Comical, silly, non-believable CG aliens. But, but thankfully, it was over it was, very quickly. It was over quickly. And then we got into the yep. um, uh, having a bit of a, a downer about being out in space for so long, and then it led you know into the human stuff. So that was fine. But that was a misstep. That opening section, I would have cut that. Yep. That would have been gone. It would have been, we've picked up this artifact, let's put it in the locker. No fucking explanation. No aliens, nothing, right? Scotty um, flew out of the Enterprise oh, on a yeah, torpedo. Oh, yeah, the second one, that's yeah. right, yeah. So again, fl- very quick, but again, yeah. it was a bit much. Yeah, it was over in seconds, but it, it was... was a misstep. So Scotty, like, lands on the edge of a cliff on a torpedo that he's escaped from the Enterprise while it was being wrecked. And then he has to jump out as it's fallen off and grabs onto a ledge, and it's totally unrealistic. It's never going to happen. Again, it felt diehard, like yeah. just silly um, computer game action yeah. hero moment for Scotty and any of these characters in a film that a bit more focused and, and stripped back. It was kind of like, a, oh yeah, this is a popcorn action film. Yeah. I mean, it was a Marvel film, you know, like that kind of feeling. And it, it if, it, if that had yeah. been cut, it would not have not affected the film. It, it would have positively affected the film, basically. Yeah. But like, it was one of those where, like, because the uh, the rest of the film was so good, you can almost kind of blink and sort of forget it, and you're like, yeah, whatever. But like, I don't think there was any other really kind of serious missteps. Like, no, there's no serious missteps. I think maybe I mentioned to you before we started recording. I think the third act has little tiny moments where the sort of CG-ness of it starts to come... It's not bad, it's not, it's fine. You mentioned how CG can be good, and I think mostly it is good. There is moments where it, it sort of switches back into that Marvel film kind of mode. Mm-hmm. Um, it all gets a bit kind of like crazy a wee bit. Um, it focuses then back into though. So it, that, I'm, I'm thinking of that shot where they're racing across the skyline with the... What is it? The ship or whatever? It's like mm-hmm. a... What, the Franklin? Yeah. And... But then it 
I like the sort of focus back to the sort of one-on-one exchange between Kirk and Crawl, Ed, Ed, Crawl who becomes Edison. Balthazar Edison. Balthazar yeah. Edison. What a name! Yeah. So basically, right? That's that's what where I would I would forgive the film is that it goes from CG, but it, in the end, the third act becomes a conversation between two Starfleet captains. Yeah. Um, and I think overall, the corrupted Captain Balthazar yeah. Edison and Kirk, and Kirk says to Edison, "Here's the beautiful thing about it, right? Our villain is a Starfleet captain who was trapped on a planet and abandoned, and 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 was a soldier and a veteran and felt left behind." And and didn't think that peace was the way forward for the Federation. And Kirk says to him, and Kirk is scared about being out in space, in deep space for years. That's the whole point of the movie up to that point, is that he wants to get a job on this uh, starbase because he feels lost in space, which people would. And he says to Edison, Crawl, the bad guy, what happened to you out there? You know, this is a human moment between two people. And Edison explains his position. He says, you know, I've fought in these wars. I've seen millions of people die. Um, the Federation is weak. Like you, you cannot uh, join up with everyone else and expect to be to be safe. You know, war is important for us to be kept safe. Like blah blah blah, that kind of thing. And it wasn't a city exploding end. It wasn't a star base or planet destroying end. It was. It basically ended as a conversation between two people, and Edison was looking at Kirk trying to save everyone on the station. Kirk said, I'd rather die saving people than live for killing them. I think that was the line. It was something like that. You know, and he explained how that's how he was born, because Kirk was born in this timeline precisely because his dad sacrificed his own life. Yeah. So that's important to Kirk. So it ties right back. It links back to Kirk's original birth his motivation yeah. so it ends with that and then we and then we cut to kirk's birthday party and the nice little thing with spock seeing the picture and, and and it's a subdued kind of chilled out end and we see a new enterprise being built yeah that, you know? again classy feel to it. um they could have went mad with it and i think they they gave everyone a little a little exchange oh um, and did you notice the um at kirk's birthday party when he said um, to absent friends, and it kind of lingered on Anton Yelchin for a wee bit in the show. I didn't actually notice that about your because right. they they chose that specifically. Like, that was a a deliberate choice. Oh my god, I can't believe I missed that. I didn't think of that. So they're that gonna was... if they ever do a new one, they'll have to explain that. But see, after watching this one, I would want them to do another one. So I was gonna talk about that. They obviously there was plans to do a fourth film, and I think um. Uh, uh, what's his name? Quentin Tarantino, of all people. But also, be um, a writer for it. Uh, Thor. Kirk. Prince Hemsworth is going to be well, back. Yeah, as George. That would have been incredible. So yeah, they obviously were thinking of long having him back, and obviously Chris Pine. Unfortunately, I think there was all sorts of issues with getting a script together. Um, Chris Hemsworth apparently quoted the when he first seen the draft of the script, saying it was weak, and he pulled out. Um, and both him and Chris Pine pulled out. Chris Hemsworth stating the the script was weak, and Chris Pine for money reasons. I think mm. might have been both money reasons as well. Um, the because I think they were asked to take a bit of a pay cut because this film didn't do as well commercially. Which is a shame because yeah. you know what it should have done better. Yes, this is the best film of the three, but. It's one of the. It's one of like it's I would say it's like one of afraid. Hollywood's tragedies in the sense yeah. that this film was the best of the three. And it's done the worst of the three. Yeah. I mean, how does that work? Well, it's the... I mean, it's when it was released. And also, it 
and following following, following yeah. a failure or at least into darkness roberto orkane david lindloff alex Kurtzman, you owe us some serious like into oh, darkness was reviewed quite critically well and com- was commercial it's just only i think fans over time have assessed it and were like really no well do you know i i, I think critics i have are some turning thoughts against it now. i have some thoughts about this right critics are bastards sometimes right because critics will vote for what's in vogue at the time on occasion right because it's a lot easier to do that i really believe that it's like oh yeah yeah but then a few years later they'll look at it and go actually that was shit because it is shit Right? I mean, I knew that the very day I went to see it in the cinema, right? I'm not an expert, critic, or anything, and I'm a fan of Star Trek, but I went to see it, and I read reviews, and I was like, what the fuck are these people talking about? This, look, the problem with a lot of critics, right, especially... I, I, I don't know, I think the critics have to look at it as, as a popcorn action film, and it, it does succeed a lot of people. I enjoyed it when I first went to see it. Yeah, but what you have to remember is that a lot of critics get their, like, there is a lot of kind of nepotism and there's um, like critics will get their free passes to go and do things like there's a lot of that in the critical world. A good world. professional critic won't let that. I know. Let's not get into that. Right. I know but but you have to admit you have to admit that, that some, some of the yeah. some of the critical reviews of things do not tie up with audience views. No certainly not. You know and audiences don't have something to gain and that that is a correlation that any logical person would put together. Now I think sometimes they get it right and sometimes they get it wrong. Like I think more often than I th- not, they I, get it right. I think I, there's I, just occasions. I'm not saying that there's a conspiracy. I'm all saying, I'm all I'm saying is that humans are humans and people are like, see if I was thinking that I would lose out like massively by trashing something. Like I I lose nothing by trashing a movie on this cast. Nobody's no. I've only paid like fifty grand to do whatever. Like so, there's nothing to lose. So I I I kind of don't. In a sense, I don't have a leg to stand on that. I haven't been in the position of a critic to understand how they feel because that's their job, and like jobs are important, and you ha- like you're going to protect your own interests, and I get that, but I don't know. Like I feel like the best review of a film was trying to kind of combine your audience and critic scores, yeah, because you're going to get an idea of the professional view, but you're also going to get very honest opinions as, yeah. w- as as well. But I think Into Darkness, I kind of feel like it was in vogue at the time, and it's not now. And oh no, that's yeah. And 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 with two thousand and nine as well, Star Trek, and I feel like there's films that are coming out today that in five years' time people are going to be panning, people will be panning it to death probably, and if you tried to do that now, you would be uh, in trouble. But like you know, hindsight is an incredible thing. Yeah. Opinions change, and you know sometimes you might think something's better. Well, our opinions have changed. Yeah, we you generally thought the first film was one of the best Star yeah. Trek films, and this review process has shown that it's probably slipping down the order. I, I don't think that I think our opinions change, but I don't think they change totally. Like I wouldn't ever love Insurrection. Do you know what I mean? But with Nemesis, I didn't hate it. I was indifferent, but then I loved it. Like I think our opinion changes are going to be less seismic. Mm. Does that make sense? Whereas, like, people who loved Into Darkness now hate it, which we wouldn't... I don't think we'd ever switch from, like, loving and hating a film to feeling the opposite way. We might we might lo- start to love an indifferent film or hate an indifferent film. Our, our movements are less extreme. Okay. Does that I, make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. But let's, let's get back to the film. Okay, um... Did we... Touch with mostly covered most of it. the the only thing um we mentioned the little things where we went wrong. D- that final 
Oh, you know what? It's not even a big deal. I don't think I'm going to mention it. It was. Uh, I was going to talk about how the way that Kirk gets saved. I just thought it was a bit. Oh, that bit with the ship, yeah. yeah. It was a bit kind of like. Well, I think you almost. missed a bit because there was a bit where McCoy was saying um, he's not going to make it out of there. We have to move. Yeah. So they'd led up to that. Yeah, yeah. So I, did you see that? Oh, maybe, but I just thought it was like it was that kind of like catch caught them in the last moment kind of thing. It was all a bit. There was literally a section where McCoy was saying, you're running out of time, you're not going to get out of there. Right. And they were moving to go there. Okay. So they kind Maybe of... Maybe I've missed something. There. I meant to say it to you, actually. I meant to mention it, but I forgot. But yeah, there was a, there was a previous scene where he was like following the progress and he was like, he's not going to make it. And they were going to they were going to go and wait Okay. to get him. I wish they had been sitting there and not just arrived. Like, I would have liked it better if their ship had been sat there mm-hmm. waiting for Kirk. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Rather yeah. than just driving up at the precise moment. Aye. It was almost like that bit in Into Darkness where Chekhov appeared and grabbed someone's oh, hand. that was nonsense. <laughs> just out of nowhere. Yeah. All right. We are ready to, to rate this film. Are we? I think it's another 10 minutes. Uh, unless you get anything else you want to go No, no, no. I'm joking. This, for me, did I go first last time or was it you? It was you. Right, you want to go first this time then? Yes. Uh, four out of five. It's not perfect. Um, but really, I'm going to say this, it's a very high four for me, yes. because you know what? It's and This film is about as close to being a, an absolutely competent, enjoyable Star Trek film as you could get. Yeah, I agree. It's in, a four today, in today's world. Yep, completely agree. Uh, this f- four-star, fun film, um, so technically well-accomplished uh, film, I want to watch it again. Yeah, I, that, you, you the know, first two thirds for me, I and that first third, oh my god, I was. Do you know, see, I just kept on saying to you every minute, "This looks gorgeous. This uh-huh. looks amazing." What? Then just not having lens flare. There was one bit of lens flare towards the end, and that was it. Yeah, and do you and know that what? Was, I was like, "Oh, what's going see, on?" In here? a few days' time after work or something, I might come into my flat and just be like, "Well, what am I going to watch?" I might watch first two thirds of it and just it. <laughs> I mean the third the final I mean, third is fine not that I'm yeah, avoiding it but like I might not have the time but yeah, I mean yeah. I, you know I'd, I'd, I'd sit there have a glass of wine or whatever and watch the first bit and enjoy the music and, and kind of enjoy the character interplay like I know the story and then obviously you're getting you know you kind of stay up all night during the week when you're working we but never like, really uh, Idris Elba as a villain I thought was more or less great I think the, that was maybe another thing I meant to touch on and where I think he was a fine villain for this film because it was a it felt like a a big screen version of a one of the early television episodes. So that's fine. He was mm-hmm. he felt like he fitted into that mold as an actual mainline villain in a big blockbuster film. I think he was maybe a bit generic. Mm-hmm. I like the reveal that it's an interesting story. A sort of old. St- Starfleet captain kind of gone mad mm-hmm. and that's always quite exciting and I love the fact he put on a uniform again yeah but I think um, not seeing his human self so I mean it's integral to the story I suppose but his actual alien version was kind of a generic alien mm-hmm. villain he was fine. He was great for the part overall, but I don't think as a as a, a he was one of the best villains they've seen. He'll never be up there with the sort of classics like Khan or Vader and all that sort of stuff. So that's probably another element to where it was acceptable and mm-hmm. solid, but not not exactly. Well, the villain was never the center of this. Movie. No, exactly. This was a this was the the cruise film, wasn't yeah. it? So that's 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 fine. That, but, that villain was just a tool to allow them to yeah yeah true split up. So yes, apart from that. Yeah, really enjoyable film. I 
we were in awe. This whole, uh, the whole time I was a little nervous because I kept on hoping that the film kept it up. I felt the same way. I was just constantly saying to you, I really hope this doesn't falter. I'm worried about if it's going to over, you know, fall off a cliff and and just it, and lose me, but it didn't. And aside little moments we just touched on where it didn't quite work, little CG moments here and there, or Scotty like over over the top cliff action scene, the film was great. So yes, a high four for me, a high four for you. This film has been a success and a great way to end yeah. this project. I am so pleased with it. Yeah. This was the Nemesis, even better than Nemesis, I think. I think yeah. this film was a much more accomplished technical achievement. Yep, and please, guys, do another one and do it like that. Yeah. We'd go and see it. And Tarantino was still saying, now the, even though there's not much going on right um, with writers, I don't know, and also with the fact that Chris Pine and that have gone, but he is still saying he's going to do it, which would be really interesting to see if he could do it, what his version of the, the Star Trek universe would be. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure it would work, but I'd still love to see it. Yeah, well, you know, I'm open to experimentation. Yeah. Okay. And I mean that in the cleanest way possible. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. Uh, we are done for now. We're going to turn off the mic. I'm going to show Steve something. Are you? Well, after this. Can you put your trousers back on? No, listen. I don't want to change your life. I just want to show you something interesting. It's nothing to do with that. But um, yeah, uh, we're doing the rating, aren't we? The ranking. I, I want to say rating, you say ranking. Yeah, well, we've done ratings on this, but the ranking Should it be rating? Episode, Should it be so ranking? We are going to do a special episode where we are going to debate the merits of all the films, come to a collective top... Like the Borg. Yep, come to a collective top 13. We'll each have our own personal list that we might want to air as well afterwards just to see where we compare but the main list will be our collectively argued top 13 top all films rated from top to bottom and I think we know which ones are going to be high and low and it'll be interesting to see the you know arguing the case uh, so it could be long we might, we might agree on these this may be a really short podcast yeah we agree and, uh, and I think as well as that, maybe we'll, uh, we'll look into this. If we decide to do it, I'll keep this in. But we might want to come up with a couple of special rewards. Awards. Um, I don't know. Best death scene or best this or best, yeah. best use of Idris Elba. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The end of yeah. uh, Something like that. Some silly rewards. Just to, We'll write them down and come up with a few ideas, I think. So we're going to do that. It's already 20 to 1. Yeah. We and we are fucked. This is going to be a late night. I've drank two bottles of wine and like three beers, so I don't know how I'm able. To, I I don't know how this is. I do, how am I doing this? No, functioning alcoholic. What can I say? All right. On that <laughs> note, <laughs> thank you. We are thank done. Thank you very much. Wrong franchise. Okay, we're... shut up. No, no, actually, yeah. Hurry up, Goldenrod. Oh God, you're going to be a permanent resident. <sighs> Okay, we're done. Never tell me the ads. Thank you. Bye bye. Hey, ad libs are not a bad thing. Mm-hmm.